Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Well, for those of you that do not recognize me, uh, my name is Wesley Johnson, and perhaps unbeknownst to you, I'm one of your pastors. Um, You just might not realize that because usually I'm hanging out uh, 30 minutes away from here at our north campus uh, in Rural Hall. Uh, And I know that when you look at me, the first thing you think is, I bet that dude lives in a place called Rural Hall. Uh, You were right. You were right. I do. Uh, And so I have the honor and privilege of being here with you guys this morning feeling the enormous shoes of Pastor Nathan, and so uh, just bear with me as I do that. Uh, Love that man. Praise God for that man and his leadership uh, over our church. Uh, And so what we're doing this morning is taking a brief little reprieve from what we normally do. Normally, we'd already have our Bibles open, and we'd have plunged the depths of a biblical text, and we'd be working out what it means and how it can change our lives, but we're just taking a real real quick breather from that today, And, and here's why we would take a breather from the Bible, because that sounds weird to say in church, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound weird for the pastor to say, we're going to take a quick break from the Bible today and do something else. Here's why we would do that, Uh, because what we want to do today is share some stories of how Jesus has changed people's lives, and the reason we would do that is because we want to make sure that we know that what we read in Scripture is not relegated to Scripture. You guys see, see what I'm saying there? Like, we want to make sure that we don't begin to think that this is all just some archaic, old, 2,000-year-old stuff that happens. Uh, and, and pretty much, if you want to experience Jesus, it happens in a Bible. We want to say, no, it's not relegated to Scripture. He's still at work. He's still alive. He's still well. He's still active. He's still changing people. Uh, and so that's why we would take a break from plunging the depths of Scripture to say, hey, look at what Scripture can do to somebody's life. Uh, here's how it actually comes to bear on a human being. And so that's why I've got my buddy with me, Marcus Lawson. Uh, he goes to the North Campus. Uh, he and his family have been attending the North Campus for a little over a year. And uh, the man that is sitting in front of you today uh, is a really godly dude, like straight up godly dude. Uh, He is a follower of Jesus. He is a disciple maker in his local community. He's a husband, he's a father, and he volunteers in our world on a weekly basis at the North Campus, uh, pouring into the next generation. Like, this is a godly man sitting in front of you. Um, But that has not always been the case, (laughs) all right? And so what we want to do this morning is sort of share the journey that Marcus was on in getting to those things that I listed, uh, in getting to follower of Jesus, husband, father, etc. And so Uh, You guys are probably familiar with the text of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Um, But for those of you who are followers of Jesus in here, you know that that new does not come to bear on your life all at once, right? It seems like it's slowly injected over time that that newness begins to manifest itself. And so we just want to peel back the veil uh, of Marcus's life, and he's going to be generous enough to share how is it that Jesus has made you new. And and so, Marcus, man, start us out with uh, some of your childhood. What was that like for you growing up? All right. Um, well, I'm from a town called Pilot Mountain, so about 25 miles north of 52 from Winston Salem, a little bit more rural than Rural Hall. <laughs> and um, I, I grew up in a home. Uh, my grandmother raised me because um, when I was three years old, uh, my dad got indicted on a federal charge, uh, conspiracy to traffic cocaine. 
And um, at the same time, my mom uh, was on drugs, so my grandma got full custody of me when I was three. And um, she, 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 she was a very uh, southern fire and brimstone Baptist lady. Uh, you know, uh, had me in church every Wednesday and every Sunday. Um, very, very strict discipline. You know, when I got out of line, I got whoopings. I got various whoopings throughout my That's childhood. That's different than a spanking. You guys yes. notice that, right? It's a whooping. <laughs> That's different. Yes. Yes. Um, um, but, I mean, overall, as a, as a youth man, I was a really good kid. Uh, straight A's up until I was in 11th grade. Everything was essentially perfect in my life as, as far as uh, the outside, what people would see on the outside. I was a good student, always in sports. Um, when I get up into high school, they open up a new high school called the Surrey Early College. Uh, the first year they opened it up in Surrey County. And um, my grandma somehow got a brochure. I don't know who told her about it, but she got a brochure about this, college, this new high school they're going to open up. And she wanted me to be a part of it. And I was like, yeah, that's fine, Grandma, because the deadline to apply for the school was two weeks before. She had no idea that the deadline was two weeks before. But she gets on her knees. She says she's praying, you know, God's going to make a way. Somehow I'm going to get into school. And lo and behold, <laughs> um, the, the, the principal ended up being my elementary school principal, uh, Miss Patsy Turner. And um, she said she was, she's not you know, technically supposed to do this. There's only 80 students out of the surrounding high schools that got accepted into the school. But I'll be there 81st that go and get an application in the mail. She's already accepted me. Because, uh, you know, um, my uh, past history at, at our elementary school and uh, being in the AG uh, classes and whatnot. And Grandma's like, you know, glory, hallelujah, God made a way, God made a way, you're going to go. And I'm like, thank you, God. <laughs> you know, you're, you're messing up my plans, buddy. And um, it starts a lot of friction between gra me and Grandma. And I was the fifth boy she raised, so the next the youngest was 10 years old. So, I mean, it was me and Grandma, that's all I had it was me and my Grandma. But I start this friction you know, she's making me do something I really didn't want to do. Well, I get back on board with everything, and my, my attitude changes, and I start striving to be the best that I could be. And um, my 10th grade year, um, due to some academic success, I made the paper. And when I made the paper, my biological mom decided she wanted to reach out to me. She wanted to become a part of my life. And um, her greatest accomplishment, I guess, would be, like, manager at McDonald's. Not trying to bash my mom, but, I mean, that's the greatest thing she's ever really done. And it, and it really like threw me off a spiral of my past. She writes me a letter, lets me know I could, I could come move with her, that my grandma actually had done some shysty things to get custody of me when I was three. And I mean, to a 15-year-old boy, you know, going through adolescence to top it off, I mean, you know, I, I really wasn't as most stable in the mind. So I decided one day, I was, instead of taking school books to school, I'd pack up all my clothes as tight as I could, rolled them up military style, packed them in my book bag, and instead of going to my grandma's house after school, I was gonna go to my mom's. and um. I was actually 16 at the time because uh, my grandma tried to get me back through the state and they weren't helping her because in North Carolina, you, you can do that at 16, move out of your own home. And um, things start going on like more of a downward spiral. My mom's a more free-spirited uh, free lady. You know, she let me do whatever I wanted to do, let my girlfriend move in with me. It wasn't maybe five months before she was pregnant and I'm going into my senior year of high school. Um, I went from a 4.7 GPA going into my junior year to having to go to summer school because I missed so many days my second semester because my mom didn't make me go to school and I wasn't going on my own power. <laughs> um, after I got out of high school, uh, right, right at the end of my senior year, March of my senior year, I actually got arrested for a selling pot. I got caught with nine pounds of reefer. Um, how, did, how did that start? How did you get into 
Oh, uh, well, my mom, that was how my mom was really playing the light bill. She kind of showed me, like, what she was doing. She was working a little fast food job, but, like, really where her money was coming into. And I was just going to school, so, I mean, I went all the way with it. I went 100 miles per hour with it. And um, I got called up. Me and my mom, actually, when we made the newspaper, my mom went to jail with me that day. We both got, we rode in the cop car together. <laughs> um, and then it gets even worse that year. 2010, I was arrested eight times for several different things, uh, drugs, violence. I shattered somebody's face. I had firearm charges. I mean, and a lot of it I'm still actually, I've been going to court for coming up on the six, it'll be six years in December that I'm still being tried for. Um, and it just sent me in a downward spiral. And my street credit was out of the roof. Not nothing to brag about. But um, for the lifestyle I was living, that's what I wanted. You know, I was listening to all this hip-hop music. And, and things had me, I wanted to be like Young Jeezy or Lil Boozy. And um, I get involved with this uh, organization, man, called Gangster's Disciples. Uh, things start going really south now. We're getting into like, uh, doing like ritual ritual, uh, satanic magic, man. And starting, you know, conjure uh, powers from the dark side. And um, then there was this uh, tragic event that happened to my best friend. Is my best friend for the entirety of my teenage years. Um, the one person I always was getting in trouble with, uh, Casey. He took his own life. August of uh, 2011. And that, that was a big that was a big eye opener for me because then like uh, Casey had just came home that past December from doing. Um, two years on state where he hit somebody in the face with a 35 pound weight. And um, I just, I knew that at that point, there's only two options that, that this, this route, this life's gonna take me to. I'm either prison or dead. Because the, the case had got hemmed up on some more charges and what he was gonna face now was either going to imprison him for at least 10 years and he wasn't trying to go back or he had to like try to snitch on somebody and, and it wasn't gonna be that one. So he ended up taking his own life and um, and I, I made to, you know, make this ultimatum, what I'm going to do. And um, I guess I, I started stepping down. I didn't want to, like, uh, uh, be involved in, in the same lifestyle anymore. I knew it wasn't healthy. It wasn't right what I was doing. I was hurting people. I was destroying everything in my path just to uh, serve myself. And um, shortly after, uh, about May 13th of 2012, it's almost been a year since Casey passed away, and that was his birthday and Mother's Day. It fell on the same Sunday that year. Um, and he hadn't been dead for a year, so I went by his mom's house um, to bring her some flowers, you know, show her. I know this is a rough day for her. Son hadn't been dead for over a year. It's Mother's Day, top it off. And um, she hits me with this, uh, this idea that I could uh, redo the flooring in her basement. And, you know, she'd pay me to do the job. And I was like, hmm, you know, I'll clear my busy schedule. I don't got much going on. That, that's fine. You know, she gave me a $1,500 check. I'll never forget when I, when I got that check, man. I had that check in my hands. I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm gone. Like, I'm going back to the same lifestyle I've been losing. I'm going to get high. I'm going to, you know, rumble in the streets. But she gave me a choice. She was like, you know, there's a rehab in our town. You can go to rehab, and you can live in this basement that you just finished. And, you know, I'll, get you a, I'll try to get you a job. And, and because I've been arrested eight times and all this stuff's pending, when somebody, when I went to apply for a job and they pulled my background up, it was like seven computer screens long of what I'm not, I haven't even been convicted of yet. Plus what I've already been previously convicted of. So nobody ever gave me a chance on a job. So that didn't even seem like a possible option. But she did, man. She got me a job. Uh, she started up a company called uh, Buck Enterprises and Remembrance of Casey that passed away. And um, it was awesome, man. I was, I was doing really good on the outside. Once again, it looked really good on the outside. Um, I haven't talked about Addie yet. At this time, I have a two-year-old daughter that I don't know because I haven't really seen her. 
um, but I filed for split custody, you know, I uh, paid up my child support and filed, I wanted to be a part of her life and I did, you know, I was granted split custody. Things were going good. I had a seven day split, like I'd get it for seven days and she got her mom's for seven days. And I was, I was making enough money where I could work one week and not work the next week. And, and I would, and when I wasn't work, when I was working, I was partying and then my work ethic began to slack. Um, Casey's mom, who I also call my mom now, um, she gave up on trying to run the company because me and my older brother Gary, all we're doing is really getting high and hoping mom does everything. And so she decided to move to uh, where they had another house at, at a military base, uh, Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri. She just upped and moved to Missouri on me and that put me back at my grandma's house, you know, basement, back to square one. One thing, man, that that kind of brings up just as, as an illustration from Marcus's life about something that the Bible says. Um, scripture is, is emphatic in saying that sin always ends up destroying you. Like, it always ends up destroying you. And, and despite the fact that he had sort of this upward turn in his life, you know, where he started to put some things together, there was a little bit of money in the bank, it turned out that um, a lifestyle filled with drugs and alcohol had once again caught up with him. Because despite our best efforts to try to conquer and beat sin in our lives, it always resurfaces until Jesus comes in and deals with the problem. Uh, and, and so this is something that you'll notice, like if you'll just process your own life, if you'll listen to this story, what you'll find is sin always destroys. There might be some brief periods of time where it seems like, man, I put some stuff together and I got some money that stuff's going okay. It will come back around. It will destroy you every time. And this is just an illustration of that. Mm-hmm. So what, what happened yeah, next, man? Definitely. Uh, um, You're at grandma's house. Okay, yeah, back, back to square at, one. Back to square one. And I mean, I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. Like mom, the one lady that's been taking care of me more or less for the last two years of my life, they got me split custody of Addie. She's gone. Um, and a couple months right before mom moved, Addie's mom had actually took off to West Virginia. I hadn't seen Addie in eight months. She had violated our court order. She took off to West Virginia where she was originally from. And um, so I'm in a really bad like mental state, you know what I'm saying? I have no self-esteem. I'm at the bottom of the bottom. Like, I think this is right around some, the same time when another one of my friends, Charlie, had just, uh, had just overdosed. Um, so I'm, I'm in, I'm in the, the mud. I mean, I don't get no deeper in the mud. Like, I, I, I can't afford anything. All I have is a drug habit. I don't have a job. I have nothing, nothing. How old were you at this point? Uh, 22? 21. No, this is before. This is right before Nicole. It'd be three years in October. I met Nicole, so 21. Right before I turned, I turned 22 in November. This was in October when I met Nicole. <laughs> but that's what that's what happens. I um, somehow I scraped up some change. I made it to go. I rode with, to the Dixie Classic Fair with a couple of my friends in October of uh, 2013. And that's where I met uh, this beautiful lady named Nicole. And I have no idea why she would even be associated with a loser like I was at the time. I mean, she was homeschooled up until high school, you know what I'm saying, very good girl, played uh, soccer, um, was in a travel soccer team, and, and like, we're at, we're at Mount Airy, not to offend anybody here, but, like, soccer was for nerds, you know, like, soccer was not, you know what I'm saying, so she was a senior, I played soccer in high school, bro. <laughs> Sorry to offend, you know what I'm saying, like, but, um, you know, like, she was a really good girl, why she would want anything to do with somebody like me was just beyond me, man, but she did, she took a chance on it, she took a chance on it, and, um, you know, uh, things started happening. Next thing you know, um, Addison's mom had called me up, and oh, I've had a change of heart. It's been eight months. I'm sorry for not letting Addie uh, come around, but uh, I got a change of heart, and I want to bring her to you. And she brought her to me, and next thing you know, I filed. I got full custody. I got a job. Um, 
start working, me and Nicole would move into her own house in King, you know, things are still kind of going good, you know, um, they're picking back up, and um, my mom sees what's going on, not my biological mom, but Casey's mom, and uh, she's like, well, you know, um, at this time, she had uh, sold the house in Missouri, she moved to Georgia, and she's in Georgia, she's like, you know, things are going really good down here, Columbus is the third growing city in the United States, come on down here, we can probably get you to a background check, you'll get a good job, you know, she's, um, Sounded really good, so I, I I did it. Me and Nicole, we packed up everything, took off, went to Georgia, and at this time Nicole's pregnant. Nicole is now pregnant with our second kid on the on the way. And I got to Georgia, and I did what you know I'm I'm tended to do, man. I started messing up. I got a job at a white tablecloth restaurant. Uh, only worked about six hours a day. It was bringing home 150, 200 dollars a night in tips. I mean. And all the servers, when they get done, they're going to the bar afterward. And I'm trying to, you know, meet people and have friends. So I'm conjugating, trying to be social, and I just fall into the same pit. Before you know it, I'm lying to my wife. Oh, I'm at work till 2.30 in the morning, and I'm really, you know, I'm out partying, drinking. And then the next thing you know, I'm having an affair. And that does nothing to help the situation at all. You know, Nicole uh, packs up her bags one day and says, you know, I'm moving back to North Carolina to be with my mom. And at this point, she's like six months pregnant. Like, she's showing. <laughs> like she, and um, instead of fighting for her or trying to man up or do anything like that, I carried her bags to the car because I wanted this new life that I was living in Georgia. And, um, well, she moves back up to um, North Carolina, and I have Addison with me in Georgia. And this is Addie's second mom, more or less. And then this is all she's known. And um, as we're coming back and forth, because... Addie's biological mother does still have visitation, so I had to bring her back from Georgia to have visitation with her mom ever so often. And when we were coming back, we were going to see Nicole and, you know, hear the baby's heartbeat, things like that. I was trying to catch doctor's appointments that I could be at. Um, but something happened. There, um, I had, when I got back to Georgia, I was so uh, content with my life that I had that I started picking up my, um, the books that I was reading. Um, I forgot to tell y'all earlier, but I got into like, reading uh, a lot of books that are bad. It's like Satanic Worship along with the Gangster's Disciples. And I started pulling out one of those books, and I, and I actually did a ritual. Um, I, I sacrificed Nicole and, and my unborn child. And when I say sacrifice, it's not like what you may see on YouTube or nothing. I was just more or less giving away, you know, the authority that lets Satan have his way with him. You know, he can do whatever he wants, just keep serving me, letting me do what I'm doing, living the lifestyle I'm living. And, um... I got a phone call one day that uh, um, there there being complications on the pregnancy. Nicole's got to start going to the doctor twice a week, you know. And then it got from twice a week to oh, we got to be in the hospital 24 hours, 24 hour watch. Uh, they don't know what's going on, but uh, there's some swelling in the umbilical cord. You know, things are getting bad. Uh, then all of a sudden, it was like immediately, like huge monitors started coming up. Um, I decided I that I needed to move back to North Carolina and come back because of the seriousness of what was going on with Nicole. Like, this pact that I did make did go through. Like, this ritual was happening. Like, um, they found out 10 weeks before the due date, it was 10 weeks before the due date, that it was an uh, a blood clot in the umbilical cord. And it was, um, they continued on with the pregnancy and tried to let it get to full term. It could possibly be fatal for the baby and the mother. So now I've definitely came to the realization, like, I mean, this ritual came through. This ritual was coming true. It's, it's worked. So I tried to back, I backed off of it by moving back to North Carolina. You know, obviously I gave up the life in Georgia. That was my part of the deal. I give it up. I moved back to North Carolina, but that's not what's happening. Like, Nicole's still in the hospital. She's still having complications. The doctors have no answers. Like, they're just like, man, we, 
All we can do is monitor it, and if the baby seems like it's losing oxygen or the heartbeat comes down, we just got to induce labor right then. And I, I remember when I took Addison with me to the hospital one time, and she seen, like, how this was affecting Nicole. And that's when, like, everything just hit me, man. Like, who, who's really being affected? You know, like, I've really been... I knew I was living for myself, but I felt like, oh, if I was good, my family was good. Like, if I'm, if I'm going to be good, Addie's going to be good. And, and, um, and that wasn't the case. Like, I had sacrificed the, the new family that I had, you know, um, to, for, for just me. Like, this isn't helping Addie. This is going to be the second mom Addie's lost in her three years of living. You know, it's just traumatizing for her. And um, I get one night in my grandma's basement when I had moved back from, from Georgia and back at grandma's while Nicole's in the hospital. I pray, man. I get on my knees and I pray. And I'm like, God, man, I need you right now. Like, I, I need you. And I completely understand if you don't hear me right now. If you don't hear me, you don't have any reason to hear me. Like, not only have I ran from you, not only have I pushed people away from you, like, I, pl- I played on the other team. Like, I was, I was <laughs> completely on the other team's roster. Like, anything to do with Jesus or God, I didn't want any part. I would rather shun it down in your life. And, 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 and out of nowhere, it's not like a a big mystical feeling or nothing, just something came over me, man, like something just came over me, and it was like, I'm going to show you that I'm God, and on April 1st, man, um, they did have to induce labor, but it was about two weeks into it, so Clark was only six weeks early, and they induced labor, um, and Clark was born, five pounds, three ounces, didn't have a feeding tube, didn't have a breathing tube, all she had was monitors, we took her home from the NICU in, I want to say, 10 days, and that was just so they could have a monitor because they were so confused about what happened with the pregnancy. They just wanted to monitor for a little while, but, you know, all our vitals were good. You know, and God, God delivered my baby, you know, no harm. And I was completely not deserving of that. You know, I deserved every bit of what I was about to have. And I guess that's when you can say, you know, I experienced grace. Yeah, absolutely. So at, at this point, where are you uh, spiritually? Like you've, you've just had God show himself to you, right? Like this this revelation okay i've been submitting to my own lordship what i want to do uh, i've even submitted to the other team because i thought that maybe i could get what i wanted for myself uh, through those means um, so now that god has uh, re-entered the frame for you uh, what were the steps like moving forward how did you uh, pursue that further after god kind of re-entered <laughs> all right well um when me and nicole were living in king there was a, this older lady uh, i was partying with her grandson she used to always come out there we would be on the back porch just hanging out um she'd be like oh y'all y'all need to come to church she's always trying to get us to come to church with her and she would tell us about this church she goes to it's in rural hall they got this mixed guy he's got tattoos he tells <laughs> he tells a lot of jokes it's really funny you know you should come check it out sometime now you know how to invite people to the north campus right <laughs> so there, there you go and, and, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like I said, my grandma had me in church. Man, I went to plenty of churches growing up. <laughs> and um, um, something about that, what that old lady told me, man, it stuck out. And uh, Clark was born April 1st. April 5th, I walked through the doors of Revo, man, and sat on the, sat on the back row and heard uh, Wes's sermon. And was that an easy decision? Or, or was that, oh, like, did you labor over man, that? I was or? in the parking lot because I was, showed up late, first of all. I was already late. And I was like, <laughs> man. I can leave and nobody will even know I tried. You know, I could leave. I sat there. I got, then I get out of the car. I go through the double doors. I'm sitting on the double doors. I'm like, uh, I can still turn around. I can still turn around. I can still turn around. And then I think it was uh, uh, Frida's husband actually like, kind of seen me right there and kind of opened the door. And I was like, ah. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, it was probably the best decision I've ever made. Like, how could I be in church? I mean, 
I've been in church my entire life, and it wasn't. It was a few Sundays after that we done a communion, and I like understood like the what the lamb meant, like why they call Jesus the lamb. And how have I been in church my entire life and not understand these basic concepts? You know, and I mean, it, I'm, it's it's amazing, man. Like uh, how God's turned it all around for me. What were you, uh, just curiosity, what were you afraid of when you were, you know, in the parking lot kind of having this wrestle? Am I really going to go in here? What, what was going on internally? I'm dirty. I'm dirty. <laughs> I'm, I'm clean. All the churches I've ever been to, I didn't, I didn't know about, like, grace and mercy and redemption, like, the whole, like, the true basis of, of like, the Christian faith, man. Most of the churches that I've been to, man, there was a fire and brimstone, and if you are changed, if God is in you, then you will quit sinning today. <laughs> like, you won't sin no more tomorrow. <laughs> like, Cut it out. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, and, you know, um, you know, like, I think it was one of your first sermons, you were actually on stage, and you were like, oh, no, no amen, I'm the only sinner here. And I was like, what? <laughs> the pastor just called himself a sinner? No way. Like, you know, and that's just a big eye-opener for me. Like, and then... Things really started going crazy in my life when I opened my own Bible. <laughs> and I started, like, reading the Word for myself, man, and the presence that just comes over you, man. And, and, like, the understanding that I didn't have then, okay, I'm reading Genesis for the third time now. I'm getting it now, you know. Um, this, is a year, this is a year into it, you know. It's just, okay, okay, I can't, it's hard to explain. It's hard to express in the words, man. You just got to do it. <laughs> man, that's, that's good, man. So, um you, you were outside, and I, wanna, I just want to belabor this point a little bit. He said he didn't want to come into church because he was aware of the fact that he was dirty. Um, he was like, well, how could a God, much less these people that seem to like God, accept a person like me? And, and then come to find out that's actually why the gospel exists. That's why Jesus came. That's why the scriptures were written for dirty people because that's all of us. Uh, and man, the reason I want to highlight that is because um, maybe your story is not exactly like Marcus's. Maybe uh, you haven't gone that far down the road uh, in terms of, you know, sin and debauchery and et cetera. Um, but for you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, we've all got this internal inclination that when we fail, when we falter, when we sin, what do we normally do? Do we normally run to God and to church or do we normally hide away? Usually we do the latter, don't we? That somehow still ingrained in us is this mentality that, oh, I failed Jesus. Now I'm going to have to take a break from church, take a break from God's presence, clean myself up a little bit, and then I'll go back when he can accept me. And, and so we still all have this sort of rooted in us. And the cross of Jesus Christ says, stop it. He saw that 2,000 years ago. He died for it. Go into his presence. He's got welcome for you. And, and so, man, just want to just highlight that, man, that what he found when he entered the doors of the church was not shame and condemnation. What he found was a message that had been written for him, for yeah. dirty people that are far away. Uh, and so when you find yourself there, remember even this story. Uh, I don't need to run away from God in my sin. I need to run towards him because he's provided, he's provided a covering for it. So just wanted to encourage you with that. Um, so, so now uh, you've been reading your Bible, been in church, uh, gotten involved in those sorts of things. And I love what you said. Did you guys pick up what he said uh, when he was talking about reading the Bible? He was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand everything at first, 
But there was a presence that I felt as I opened the scriptures. Uh, I mean, I, I love that because um, scripture is not so much about understanding everything, every nook and cranny of theology. It's about the presence of God that you encounter in the scriptures. And so I, I love that, man. Um, so where are things now uh, with, with your family, with your spiritual life? Uh, with my family, uh, financially, not, not the best at all. Not the best. Actually, probably worse than I've ever been. But spiritually, better than I've ever been by a long shot. You know, there's nothing. Uh, my wife, she's been at Novant Cardiology uh, down here on Kimmel Park. She's been there for coming up on a year and a half. I've been at the same job for over a year. Um, Addison just uh, graduated her first year of kindergarten. Actually, on ev every aspect of school in the kindergarten, she scored on second grade level. You know, I mean, God's still blessing us abundantly. I mean, I guess redemption is real, man. Redemption is so real. I can't press that enough, man, because I don't deserve any of this life that I have. Like, I, like I, if I didn't have it, I completely understood why. <laughs> like, I mean, um, but uh, spiritually for myself, um, like me saying, I haven't been better. Uh, just the things, people that I'm around at work, like uh, people out, they've been at the shop a little longer than I have. They make a little bit of money. They drive nicer cars than I do. They're 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 always complaining. And I'm at work. I'm the I'm the I'm the 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 rookie. Even though I've been there for over a year, they haven't hired anybody after me. And I'm shoveling, pushing the wheelbarrow, whistling, singing. And they're all like, "Marcus, what is wrong with you?" And I'm just like, "The joy of the Lord, my brother." And I just, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, and I just I can't. <laughs> I mean, I just, it's not, as you know, like, it, it doesn't, like, change the outside, really. It changed the inside, and the inside is just the people around me, you know, like, uh, literally, the dude I work with, his name is Wayne, and he'd probably kill me if he ever heard me tell anybody this, but he was like, Marcus, you're my Xanax, you know that? Like, that's literally been told me before, just because I'm like, man, there's no reason to get upset, you know, it'd be all right, you know? That's, a, that's amazing, man. That's incredible. And, and I love that, because what Jesus did in your life is he reoriented what satisfaction is. It Definitely. used to be that, hey, I've got to have X amount of money in the account. I've got to have this year model car. And now you've got none of that, and yet your life is on a more positive trajectory than it's ever been on because you've got Jesus. Uh, man, I, I love that. I love that. So um, talk a little bit about um, how your life change has affected the other people uh, in your sphere of influence, some of the people you used to roll with. Well, uh, especially with the people I used to roll with, uh they see the change, you know what I'm saying? I don't have to tell them the change. They know the guy I was. Like, I, it's nothing to brag about, but I was highly respected as, as far as anybody that tried to live a street life in Mountain Area. They know who Marcus Lawson is, especially if they're anywhere in my Google age does, too. Yeah. I Googled it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. My bad. <laughs> Watch, everybody else will now Google it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Judge not. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, they see the change, man. They know the Marcus. They knew, like... Amber, the lady that I had my first kid with, they knew what, like, her and Addie was living conditions were like the first two years of Addison's life. They knew what my conditions were like. I was living a boss status life, not trying to glorify it, but, you know, sound, when Amber and my kid are over here, and she's wanting diapers and stuff, and I'm like, ah, I'm not even answering the phone. You know, um, they knew who I used to be. Um, I mean, I, I was a high-ranking official of a gangster's disciple organization. I mean, uh, and now they see, like, why would you give up being the man to be this nobody that was pushing a shovel and wheelbarrow for $10 an hour. Like, why would you do that? And I mean, 
I, I don't really know why God called me away from it. You know, maybe that's in the future. That's for me to see maybe later on down the past. But, I mean, my friends do see it, and they're like, well, if Marcus can do it. I mean, I, have, I haven't had any true, like, uh, friends change their life. Like, try to give their life over to God. I've had a couple people call me a square now or say, think that I'm weak or whatever. But, I mean, that's, that's fine. People are going to think that. But um, there are a couple people that in my group, man, that um, I've brought to church with me. You know, I have brought a couple friends with me, and, and they do hear it, and they just do see a difference that it's not just about uh, how pretty you have to dress up on Sundays and you have to be there at 11 on the dot. Or, you know what I'm saying, the, out, the outer image of your life does not have to be perfect. You know, like God does, you know, what is it, um, he uses crooked sticks to make straight lines. And, um, yeah. That's good, man. I love that. Well, thank you, Marcus, so much, man. Can we thank Marcus for sharing his story? Absolutely, man. Jesus is alive and well, and he is at work still today. Life change is not relegated to stories that we read about in Scripture. Those stories are documented in Scripture so that we would know they're supposed to be an index of our lives today. Uh, and so, man, be encouraged by Marcus's story um, that they, this matters, what we're doing, this truth that we're proclaiming, it's alive, it's active, and it's transformative. And so uh, I hope that you've been blessed by this. I hope that you've been encouraged by this. And uh, I'd love to close just by praying over Marcus because, hey, all of us know that it's one thing to turn a corner in your life, and it's another to continue walking that path, right? Uh, and so uh, as Marcus's church family, uh, Revo Church as a whole, both campuses, uh, we just want to make sure that he knows he's loved, he's supported. Uh, that we've got his back, so I'm going to pray over him now. Lord Jesus, thanks so much uh, for what you've done in Marcus's life. Uh, thanks so much that the gospel is true, uh, that it is real, that it is powerful, that your word is alive and active and living, uh, and that a guy like this can walk into the doors of a church and walk out a different person because your Holy Spirit is still doing things, still changing people's lives. So God, uh, would you help us uh, to leave here uh, with a new sort of invigorated passion to proclaim the gospel because we know now definitively, hey, it works. It works. Uh, I don't need to walk out here and think that it's about how well I say it or how elegant I am because I just heard a story uh, about how powerful the gospel is all by itself, uh, not how well I communicate it, but just the truth all on its own. So, God, would you make us a people who are on mission to see more people experience what Marcus has experienced Lord Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. Good morning, Revo Church. Glad you're here this morning. I just want to thank Marcus again for being willing to share his testimony with us. And I want to thank God for being in the business of life change. I mean, this is what we as Revo Church are all about. We want to see people transformed by the power of the gospel. And so we're just glad you're able to be here this morning and hear this amazing testimony and hear what God's doing in, in the life of our church. Uh, if it's your first time, you received a worship guide. It's this right here. When you came in, and there's a perforated section at the bottom. If you would just fill that out and tear it off and drop it in the offering basket as it comes by in a few minutes, or even better, take it to the welcome desk on your way out. We've got a free gift for you. It's one of these cups. These things are pretty awesome. If you don't want it, my wife will take it because she loves these things. <laughs> uh, we've got a new sermon series coming up. It starts next week, and you're not going to want to miss it. It's called The Struggle Bus. And uh, you'll see it right here. I mean, look at that bus. That thing is really struggling. And the bus is really an analogy for our lives sometimes. I know that every single person in this room has struggled with something. I mean, if you've struggled with fear, grief, anger, maybe it's work, maybe it's money, identity, um, you know, 